the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 93. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you, my friend? I am awesome. No, I'm really, really great. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that, but I'm things very are, happy. Things are good in Sandra land right Aww. now. What's going on in Sandra land? I mean, not much, but a, a, a lot, a lot. Just, you know, plugging away at work on a few projects that I have going on. I start some classes this week, and so it's all very exciting. So tonight, listen to this, tonight, so I start my improv class tomorrow. It is I signed up for a class during the day because I'm I'm no dummy. But uh, <laughs> here's the deal, though: if you want to go watch improv, that happens at night, like after eight p.m. What? That's yeah. a problem. That's when improv happens mm. in the city. If you want to go watch some improv, so tonight there is a, a, like a student faculty kind of meet and greet and there's going to be some improv and it starts at eight 30. Whoa. <laughs> that's like a commitment, Sandra. It really is. So I really feel like, and this just sounds so stupid because I mean, I worked in bars my whole life where I wouldn't get home until two o'clock in the morning. But now you know, 49 and a half year old Sandra is in bed at 830 with a mm-hmm. book almost yeah. every night. And so <laughs> I'm really pushing myself out of my comfort zone here. Uh-huh. Well, it's exciting. I it know. Is exciting. Right? It's like a big night out. It is like a big night out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear how it goes because this is really cool because I got to go see your kids do improv and I liked seeing the joy on your face watching your kids do improv. That was it, really beautiful. But aww. you get to do it, which is going to be really fun. I know. I know. I hope that no one I know will ever come see me do improv. Oh. <laughs> well, too late. You just let the cat out of the bag. Austin ladies, please um, support Sandra. <laughs> oh, that's a big, that's a big deal. So good. I, I was, yeah. you know, I, um, when I was in LA walking down Melrose street with my son, the groundlings is on Melrose mm-hmm. and I thought of you and I thought of you and I've been there before a long, long time, like 25 years ago, I went to go to see a show at the ground, you know, at the groundlings theater. So very excited for you. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. So how about you? How are things in Tammy land? Are they awesome? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> They're going to be awesome as soon as I'm done putting the finishing touches on my program. So by the time this airs, my email course will be out in the world for the first offering for the January cohort. Right. Um, It will have started. It will have started. And if anybody wants to sign up for it, they, um, if you purchase it, you will be put on the list for the February 11th cohort. So every month on the 11th, uh, a new offering will, uh, release and, I can't talk about that too much right now, but I just have to get it done. <laughs> so um, 
what I've done, Sandra, I have written 10,000 words. It's mm. a lot of words. So I'm, I'm is? for 11 days. Um, it's a lot of me. And I kind of got in my head the other night, like, everything's kind of happening right now. In terms mm -hmm. of some interviews I've done, some written interviews I've done, some podcasts, and everything's coming out at once, which has made me feel a big amount of anxiety and kind of like the who do you think you are voice, mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the inner critic is rearing its ugly head. And I was writing my newsletter Saturday night after, you know, I was writing the course, but I was like, oh, I have to do a newsletter that comes out tomorrow. And I started like adding all the things. So if you get my newsletter, you knew it was like Tammy filled. It was like, how about this? Self-promotion is a vulnerable mm -hmm. act. It's, it's hard. To yeah. Do. It, yeah. True. Very it's much hard. so. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm kind of in the thick of it, but the, so the inner critic came, um, I know you saw this, but I'm going to share it with our listeners. I was like, I thought back to that Elizabeth Gilbert exercise I did um, that she taught when I saw her at 1440 Multiversity about writing yourself a letter from fear, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, the inner critic is kind of like that. Inner critic is fear, basically. Just, um, I need to give it a name. One of our listeners sent me a little message on Instagram. I was like, name it. Just give the, the critic a name. And so I asked for, like, some crowdsourcing for names. And I'm so glad you reminded me. Madge was supposed to be my higher power, but yet I was making Madge my inner critic. And right. That didn't, that's not, that's not good. That's not good to have them both. Poor have Madge. The same name. <laughs> right. You know, give Madge a break. She's trying to help you out. Isn't Madge Madonna's nickname too? Yeah. Ooh, I can't I have, remember. I can have Madge as my higher power, but I cannot have her as my inner critic. I can't, I can't have Madonna Madge as my inner critic. So um, I started getting suggestions from people, which were really funny and really awesome. Um, my sister was like, name it dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> because he said to me my whole life growing up, who do you think you are? Uh -huh. um, so I was yeah. like, Tracy, I can't have that be the name of my inner critic. He's already there. I'm already trying to like push that down. I can't name it that because I just can't. So my friend Jill down the street, she named it Vicky with an I. Uh-huh. And I was like, it's Vicky. Because mm -hmm. it, Vicky is nice and likable. She's just a lot sometimes. She just needs, right. I, need, I just need a break from her. She just, she means well. Right. Vicky. So Vicky. that's my inner critic's name is Vicky. And I encourage everyone to get an inner critic uh, and name it. I mean, not get one. If you have one, name it. <laughs> Do you, have, say, do you get the inner down, critic? Vicky, not right now. <laughs> uh, do I get the inner critic? Um, I probably should more. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do things impulsively mm. and only later on go think, huh, should I have put that out there or should I have thought that through a little more or is that silly? You know, like I guess my inner critic comes up post action. Okay. After mm -hmm. the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of dissecting things, kind of doing a postmortem. Right. Like, why did you do that? Or yeah, right. okay, I got you. Inner critique more. Yeah. The inner critic. Yeah. I, you know, it was funny by – 
by doing that little exercise in my moment of vulnerability, it was awesome because I woke up the next day. I had a name for it. I was in such a, I was awesome that day. And I felt energized again, like, okay, that's definitely a part of the creative process is butting up against that for me. That's definitely part of it. And to be able to name it and move on and have fun with it and kind of, I don't know, the people that that had given me messages on Instagram were very, very funny and very sweet. And do you find, too, that your inner critic um, at night is much louder than in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. Because at night, I mean, you just tired and you're done and you need to really just shut the computer off and go to bed because when things will seem just completely hopeless at night, I will wake up the next morning and say, oh, well, this is totally doable. Yeah, you're right, Sandra, because I've been waking up at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning to get up Mm -hmm. and write. And um, that night that all this happened, I'm still sitting at my computer at 9 o'clock at night. You're just um, forcing it. Forcing it. I, I stayed up till midnight that night actually writing. Um, and that's a long ass day. Mm, now I wasn't long. continuously doing it all day long. But for the mo- bulk of my day was thinking and processing and what about this and researching. And so the whole day, yeah, nighttime is when I'm, um, you and I both have talked about this. That's not our best time to create. Mm-mm. So what no. the F was I thinking? You know, because I had to, because I have so many days and I'm like, this has to get done. Um, So I pushed through, but that was three days of waking up that early and working that hard. So the next day I gave myself a break. I stayed in bed, slept until eight, you know, researched some shoes online. You know, it's like I needed just a a little break. So you're right. Nighttime is when it's like, I'm ready to go out and mess you up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. But I'm and excited. Really, and people really are... Madge, is, Madge should be just be saying, honey, go lay down. Go lay it's down now. Well, I took a scalding hot shower at midnight that night. Mm. I was like, I know what to do. I know what I should have done five hours ago. But uh, I didn't. Mm. Um, so I did do it anyway. Um, but it was funny because <laughs> if any of you have signed up that are listening or you're going to, I mean, this is part of what I'm talking about is creative process. Right. So I wanted to just be able to move through it because it's creating this class to put it out into the world. It's like a little bit, um, I wanted to share the process. And um, as as people were signing up and the things were hitting my inbox all day, my anxiety just kept amping up with every purchase. Right, because it's like, now I really have to show up and do this. Great. <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh, oh gosh. And so last night I was sitting at my desk and I was just toast again. It was about five or six o'clock and Natalie called. She's like, I felt like you needed me. She's so empathic. And I was like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't need anything right now. I'm just toast. She's like, I felt like you did. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. And we chatted. And that was nice. And then I hung up the phone with her. About two minutes later, Tiffany Hahn calls. She's like, <laughs> You've been quiet today on the social media front. And I'm, I was just thinking about you. And I was like, oh, yeah. I needed my coach, to, my creative coach to call me and she did. And she talked to me for like 45 minutes and we worked out a couple of things and I helped her with a couple of things, I think. And uh, it was good. But gosh, Sandra, um, I'm going to be really relieved when it's all done. Yeah. When it's all yeah, done. Yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. And then will you all have done it once mm-hmm. and n- you'll see where you need to tweak it because yep. it's not going to be perfect the first time. It's not. Yep. Okay. I want you to go ahead and accept that. Um, yes. 
and then you can tweak it and, and maybe make some changes and it'll be much easier the second time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. And so if you've signed up, I hope that you're enjoying it. And if you haven't signed up, we're going to do it again next month and I might even tweak it a little bit. Um, but it's 11 days of a creative email course for the curious beginner. It is and where not, can they find it? They can find it on my website at TammySalas.com. There's a tab called Groove. And uh, it's not a how-to class. I just want to be really clear about that. It's not a tutorial on how to make a list or how to. That's, that's not what this class is. This is about uh, helping you to foster your creative uh, groove, your shifts, um, paying attention in your own life. So... Uh, if that sounds interesting, you can read about it on my website. Fun. Um, I just want to promote one thing. I, uh, have had a resurgence of book sales and Mm -hmm. I must clarify that my book is an e book (laughs) and it's on my website is it is a book of reflection. So if you need, if you're a person that likes a daily devotion or likes a 365 day reflection book, uh, you can find it on my website at the unruffled.com and it's called your daily unruffled 365 days of reflections and prompts for creativity and recovery. And I'm just clarifying that it's an ebook because I've probably, I've had it maybe a dozen people uh, that has bought it over the last year because I put it out about this time last year uh, say I've been waiting for my book to show up in the mail and I just realized that it was an ebook and um, they weren't disappointed but right anyway it's an ebook so that means you can put it on your phone and carry it around with you all the time or uh, some people even take the file to like Staples or Office Depot or whatever you have and they get it printed out into an actual book. Um, I was going to have books printed. I have not done that, but you can print one. You can. I don't know how much it costs, but I think it's, it's, you know, you can, um, if it's something that you like to have a tangible book that is available to you. Yeah. I'm a paper person. I do have it on my phone too, um, which I think I'm going to try to tap in and use my phone more this year because that's always next to me in the morning with my, cause I'm listening to my meditations that I can click over there real quick and make that part of my routine. Because your book yeah. is out here in my studio. And so when I'm out here, I look at it, but um, the physical book, but having it on right. your phone, I think it's just, it's so smart for everybody to be able to, if you can figure out how to do it, because, you know, it took me a minute to figure out how to do it. Yeah. I think it's if easy. you have an iPhone, you can save it into iBooks, yeah. right? Um, some people in, a, some women in our secret Facebook group talked about moving it to their Kindle or putting it on a Kindle app or something like that. So I know there's some different options and people have chatted about it in our Facebook group. And speaking of, if you want to be a part of our unruffled podcast, secret Facebook group, you can do that through Facebook. You just need to friend either myself or Tammy and send us a message asking that you would like to be part of the group. And we would love to have you. Absolutely. If you identify as female, that is. Yes. Yes. And one more thing I have to promote. Um, I'm doing a women's circle with Natalie Fairbrook and Sasha Corellis locally. So if you're in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area, we're doing it on um, January 26th from 11 to 430 at Soul Yoga in Santa Rosa. And it is called Encoding um, the Sacred You. And we're going to be, um, Nat's going to lead us in a meditation and a yoga practice. Um, she's making a special oil for the um, event um, that she's going to launch. I think it's I think it's okay for me to say this. It's going to be called Trifecta, 
and it's going to be available um, at the event and on her website. But I'm going to be leading um, a little section of it about um, creating inspired routines. Um, morning routine is what I'm going to focus on. And Sasha is going to be creating malas. So you can find all that on my website um, under events, or you can go to nataliefairbrook.com. That's where she's taking all the registrations. That is actually on her website. But if you want to just read and research it and check it out, you can you can check it out on my my side or hers. Um, so that's that's I think it for right now. That's so it. Much. Mm-hmm. So much. So um, much. Let's get to um, the interview of the day. We yes. had the pleasure. I've been watching her on Instagram for a while um, to speak with Erma Scuta. I hope I'm saying that right, Sandra. I think we were saying, I think you're saying it right. Okay. I think during the interview, I kept calling her Irma, like an American. Um, it's Irma. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Irma is a practitioner, a teacher, a student, and a writer who offers convention challenging and radical solutions to individuals who seek a different way of healing. Her clients have a desire to step out of their darkness, heal their minds, skyrocket their addictive habits, and liberate their health with the help of a holistic modalities. She is a clinical homeopath um, from the British Institute of Homeopathy, 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 certified health coach uh, through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and former addict in recovery since July 2015. Her work on addiction recovery, holistic mental health support, and natural medicine has been featured in popular publications such as Elephant Journal, Good Magazine, New Zealand Women's Weekly, Savannah East, and more. She currently resides in the surfy West Coast town of Raglan, New Zealand. I loved our conversation with Irma. I took so many notes. I think this is the yeah. most notes I've ever taken on anybody. Um, she had so many beautiful and wonderful things to say. I think our listeners are going to totally dig this. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought about when we got off the call with her was like, we didn't even talk about her awesome hair. Yeah, she does have awesome hair. So you're going to have to go follow her on Instagram because she has beautiful, she has a really great photographer too, because she's had some really great, you know, just branding, good Mm -hmm. branding shots of herself, which I need to, but we all need those. Um, Hers are gorgeous. And so you can go find her on Instagram. She's at, at Irma, I-R-M-A underscore sacred underscore rebel. Yeah, and her website is her name too, uh, Irma Scute. So I R M A S C H U T T E dot com. Um, she did a really great post. I wanted to just shout out at the beginning of this before the interview, um, a three year sobriety post on her website called "What It Takes to Stay Sober for Three Years." It is so comprehensive. It is so beautiful. All the things that she shared of how she mm. got to where she is. It's really great post. So if you guys want to read that. And then we mentioned Caitlin Cook at the end of the pod. Um, and then I, if you want to visit this woman that she, that she mentions at the very end, it's at um, the Caitlin Cook. And her website is the same thing, CaitlinCook.com. Um, C-A-I-T-L-Y-N-C-O-O-K.com. I think that's it. I want people to just sit back, relax, and listen to all of the beautiful story that Irma's going to share with you. Yeah, you guys enjoy Irma. Hey, Irma, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello, Irma. 
And very early good morning to you. It is a very early good morning. <laughs> and I've had my coffee and my dog's lying on the bed. He's like, what the hell? It's not time to get up. <laughs> what time is it in New Zealand for our listeners? To- it, is, it, is, it is dawn. So it's uh, around, around four. Yeah. And um, yeah. But it's summer. It's summer the side of the world. So we have these beautiful, lush, long days. So I can already hear the birds outside my my window. Yeah, so I can hear them too. They sound yeah. so sweet. I had an owl this morning outside of my window. I woke up at four this morning as well. Four twenty, if I'm going to be specific, um, which is my. I laugh because I always say it's my angel number because I see that number everywhere, and I. It has nothing to do with marijuana for me. I just just see that number everywhere. So I woke up at 420, and I had owls outside my window this morning, but I can hear your sweet little birds. That is so cute. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that it was summer because I am – I can just be completely ignorant with geography, and I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Our our Christmas is – is warm and and tropical and we we usually have it outside. Well, where I grew up because I was born in, in South Africa, summers mean or Christmas means summers, summer holidays. So it's it's um it's quite different to to where you are. We I had my first white Christmas a few years ago in Denver, and oh, yeah. uh, it's what you it's what you see in the movies when you grow up in South Africa, right? And, had my first experience of falling snow. Can you believe it? Only a few years ago. That's so it cool. Was, it was magical. Yeah. I used to uh, live in I used to live in the Denver area, and yeah, it would fall. And what happens in like the city proper, right? Like it, it falls, but then it pretty much melts pretty quickly on the roads, you know, and it becomes yeah. a little bit muddy. Um, yeah. But I worked right there in downtown Denver, and I lived on the outskirts. But yeah, it definitely is kind of like that. What you would imagine about like a white Christmas yeah. to be. That was magical. Well, Irma, you know, we like to start this show off by asking our guests how they came to sobriety. Can you tell (laughs) us your story? (laughs) (laughs) A million dollar. How did I come to sobriety? Well, I chose life. It was was either, it was either, the alcohol was either going to take me out or I was going to take it out because mm-hmm. it came down to me being here and staying on planet earth during this thing called life or me deciding to tap out. And it was the morning of the 25th of July, 2015. And I hadn't slept for four nights and I I think looking back, I think I had a, a psychotic break. My mind, my mind broke and went somewhere else. Mm. And that was one of the the most painful breakthroughs that I've ever had in my life when, when that happened. And it was really odd because I ran out of booze probably about this time of the morning to be to be to be honest. And I, um, I knew I was out of booze. I was living alone with my dog at the time. I had been put through the ringer with my life leading up to this moment. Uh, it was about three, four months of incredible challenges. Um, 
I was diagnosed um, with with fibroids. Um, I only realized this because I felt pregnant and it was unplanned. And I was drinking. I have to probably say this. I was drinking every single day of my life. I was I was putting away about a bottle of wine every single night for a good seven, eight years in my 30s um, just to cope with being Irma and mm-hmm. cope with being with life because I had been gifted with grief at the age of 30. I lost my older sister to suicide in August of 2008. And then my mum, who I had an incredible close bond with, she was diagnosed with cancer within weeks of my sister committing suicide. And we buried her eight months after my sister committed suicide. So that was a big year for me when I was, when I was 30. This is 2008, 2009. And I went to, to wine for everything. Wine became my therapist Wine became my medicine. Wine became my lover. It became everything to me. And I, I definitely, when I look back, I definitely, you know, can correlate an up in my intake in that year. And then that that kept going. I I kept that up for about seven, eight years. And then life had me a little, a little challenge again with the pregnancy, with the diagnosis of the fibroids. Um, the pregnancy was terminated. Um, the partner at the time, he bailed. It was just too much for him. And then I had pelvic surgery to remove these fibroids. And then the recovery of the pelvic surgery really tipped me over. And I then went from a, a nightly drinker to a 24-7 drinker. And I never thought I was going to be one of those. But I very quickly became one of those, you know, I couldn't function anymore. I stopped working. And those last few weeks, it got to the point where alcohol was the thing that kept me going, ironically. And Mm. I went from a bottle a day to three, four bottles a day and whiskey arrived and I started hanging out with Jamison. And, and on the 25th of July, I was planning to, to end it all. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was thinking of getting my dog to safety. He was the most important thing in my life at the time. And he watched it all. And, and yet I knew I couldn't go through with it. I so wanted the pain to end. And at that stage, in that space, I thought ending my life would be the solution. And yet behind it, there was this voice or this essence of awareness that said to me, no, girlfriend, you've got work to do. You need to kill this thing, not your life. You need to kill this thing with booze. You need to end this relationship with booze so that you can have the life that you know you can have. And something stepped in that morning, and I phoned my friend, and she came around within moments that's what it felt like. She said to me, it, it took a few hours, but I remember it as moments. And she whisked in and by the, and nobody girls, nobody knew how bad it got. She was the first to come into my house that morning and see all the empties, see the destruction, meet the destruction, see me. She just whisked me out. She knew exactly what to do. And she took me in 
and she fed me because I hadn't eaten for days and we had my dog with me, of course, but she, I remember her taking all of the empties in my house because I was so embarrassed because there were so many empty fucking bottles in the home. I didn't want to put it in my recycling because I didn't want my neighbors to know Raglan where I live is a small, small town. And I'm a, I'm a, a person in town that people come to for, for health. I'm a practitioner. I'm a homeopath. I didn't want people to know what was going on. The shame, the guilt. And she looked at me and she dialed that I needed to get the energy of this out of the house. And she grabbed all the bottles. They were tucked away in cupboards and wardrobes under my bed. And she filled three recycling bins full of empty bottles and she put it in her car. She put me in her car, my dog, and we went to her house. And the shame, oh my God, the guilt, the embarrassment in that moment, I wanted to, I just wanted to be swallowed up whole. Mm -hmm. And yet that moment, that moment shifted things for me for good. I needed to get there to rebuild. And I decided to put myself into rehab. I was so fucking ready to be with the, with this thing that I created in my life, this, this thing called alcohol, this essence, this really abusive relationship. And I was ready to shift it. And I knew I needed help. And I was ready. I was really fucking ready to do the work. And I knew I couldn't do it in isolation. And I knew I had to surrender. Mm. I knew I had to call and help so that I could put myself back together again and got myself to rehab, dried up, and started started with the most, oh, this has been the biggest journey ever. The last three and a half years of my earth life has been um, the most challenging, has been the most liberating, has been the most empowering, has been the most challenging. Did I mention that? Mm. And yet I fucking choose sobriety over every single other thing in my life right now. It is the most important thing in my life. Without it, I cannot fully rise up and connect with my authentic self. Alcohol is the fastest way for me to disconnect and get stuck in my shadows. Mm. How long were you in rehab, Irma? A month. I was there for a month and I met people that got it. For the first time, I felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. And I was like, far out, these are my people. <laughs> wow. Isn't, isn't they, that cool? I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Now, right. Was, was it a, um, I don't know a whole lot about treatment facilities, so pardon me if I say the wrong thing, but was it um, based in like holistic recovery or was it 12-step based or was it, uh, it I, I don't know, what was it based on? It was based on, on the steps. Oh. And mm -hmm. it was a, a private facility. They've, they've since then, they've, they've, they've closed down. It was a, um, 
a private space, very, very small, very intimate, mm-hmm. uh, just outside Auckland. And um, there was about 20 of us. And we, um, yeah, we were held with much, much, much kindness and love. And we we got into the first four steps while we were there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, I. I was looking for um, a more holistic, unorthodox approach, but this came, and this is what I needed. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's mm. interesting how. <clears throat> I mean, we're so lost at the end. I mean, I remember. Um, it just. I I didn't even know what to do because I was in such denial that I really had a problem. So. Um, to even think about rehab. I mean, I didn't go to, I didn't go to AA until I was seven months sober. Um, but I made it really hard. I mean, of course I had to, it had to be whatever it was, but I was just thinking about what you said that you were ready to do the work. And, um, I've heard recently from a few other friends, like this concept of willingness, like we can be willing to do a lot of things, but we also have to be ready and not so ready that everything has to be perfect because I struggle with that. And I think I, from reading about you that you struggle with that perfectionism component, but like just ready to begin. Like I'm ready yeah. to let all that go. Um, I don't want to resist everything for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm ready to learn. I'm open. Um, and that readiness. So for you saying you were ready to do the work, that really, that makes sense to me. And before I... I wanted to, but I was still very protective over the relationship that I had with alcohol because I tried so many times before that moment to, to quit and I would do it half-assed, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, but I think things had not gotten bad enough and so the, you know, while I was in rehab, Wayne Dyer decided to come and do a talk in Auckland. Mm. He was on an, an, on an Australian tour and he decided he wanted to stop over in Auckland before he went back to Hawaii. And I got special permission to go and see him uh, speak in, in Auckland. And it was one of the most profound moments in my recovery because I went and he came through the crowd and he actually stopped and he introduced himself to me and my friend. And we had this lovely moment of connection. And then he went onto the stage and he sat down and he started talking about the willingness to do the work, to step up and what that means. And then he started talking about how he needed to let go of beer in 78. And then he started talking about his recovery and he... It's, it felt like he was speaking right at me, mm-hmm. for me. And he, he looked at us and he went, how willing are you mm. to do the work and manifest your burning desires? Because manifesting those burning desires requires taking inspired action and being willing to let go of the people, the places, the things in your life that no longer serve you because it involves you to really dig deep and shift at a deep, deep level. It takes a lot of commitment to follow these burning desires that we all have in our hearts. 
you've got to show up and do the work. And the tears just streamed down my face. I was, I felt like I was in the presence of, I knew, I knew that moment needed to go into a memory bank and I put it away in a very safe file. And it was profound. And then two nights later, he passed away. Mm, yeah, it was. He was. We were honoured enough to have him and his very last Earth talk. Mm. And I, I look back, and that was. He still. I can still feel Wayne's essence come through when I'm struggling with shit, and I hear him go, "You can do this. How willing are you to do this?" keep taking inspired action and know, just accept that it's going to cost you people, places and things. Yeah. Mm. Irma, I have a question. Did you ever question your drinking before July 25th? Um, did you ever, were you, were you ever curious about it? Did you feel like you were steeped in denial? How did you, did you, was it ju just purely coping for you or did you ever get, you know, did you try moderation? Did you try to take a break before or did it all just build to that point? I did it all. Everything mm -hmm. you just mentioned. I tried moderation. I had, I lived with guilt every single day of my drinking life. I, I tried to negotiate with it. Every single day I tried to hush my own inner um, concerns and worries by drinking even more. Um, I broke up with alcohol a few times in the time that I was drinking, uh, only for maybe a month here or there or a week. I could count how many times I didn't drink because it was so few and far between, but I had a daily inner um, tug of war and, and an enormous amount of guilt, the, the weight of the guilt that I carried with me because I'm, I'm in the world of wellness. I've been in the world of wellness and holistic medicine and healing my whole life. And I felt like an absolute sellout and fraud through mm. my whole drinking life and my, my party girl life when I, you know, it, it's not just booze, it, it's, it, it was drugs as well. And, and showing up during the day, offering people advice on how to stay well and then come five, six o'clock in the evening, I'd, I'd numb myself out with, with alcohol. So every single day I wanted to stop even before this moment arrived in 2015, every single day I would wake up determined that today was the day that I was going to get to five o'clock and not go to the bottle store to buy my wine. But by four o'clock, I would have listened to the excuses in my head and I would, was like, I was on automatic pilot. I'd go and buy my wine on the way home and make sure that I had my wine while I was cooking and, oh, you deserve this. You had a long day. It's just another night. You can do this tomorrow. Drink the whole bottle before dinner wait for my partner to come home, pretend like I'm not tipsy, try and keep an ha a handle on it. But I was an emotional um, tornado. I was incredibly um, volatile, um, explosive, erratic. Um, when I was up, I was up. When I was down, I was down. Angry, 
Um, and he had to live with that. It wasn't easy. And then I would pass out and wake up two, three o'clock in the morning with a hangover, couldn't sleep, felt anxious, restless, really shit, really guilty because I usually would have said something to him that would have hurt him. Often couldn't remember that I said something to him, but I knew I did. I knew I said something that really was hurtful and, and, and awful. Wake up, no, I've got this. I'm going to drink my smoothie. I'm going to take my supplements. I'm going to take my homeopathics. Go into detox from 8 o'clock till 4 o'clock and then retox. That that was life. <clears throat> um, That's like an endless cycle, an endless cycle it, that you just keep repeating, would, right? To- totally, totally. And I, all along I had this awareness that I was dependent. I knew, I knew that deep down. All along, I knew I, I would watch myself and compare my intake with the people in my life. And, you know, I was, I was a sneaky drinker because I'm such a control freak and perfection, well, recovering perfectionist that I would, I would load up at home before I'd go to the dinner or to the party. I'd, I'd load up before I would meet the girls and then in the presence of the girls, I would be the moderate drinker, but they mm-hmm. don't know that I've already had a bottle before I even got here. Sometimes the bottle was in the car on the way to the event. Um, and so I pretended I was this, this, this actress, you know, I've got my life under control. Uh, I'm a moderate drinker. I don't need it. Um, I'm healthy. I've got this. Uh, but between the four walls of my home was a different story. It was how much can I get into me before anybody finds out, before I'm busted. Mm. That, have, have you thought about what was different, what what made this different, your your last day, your day one? Uh, the, the very real thought of suicide. Mm. And the knowing that if I kept drinking that I was going to end up doing that and I didn't want to do that to my family again we've we know what suicide does to a family and I just I could not even in that broken raw um mad state of mind that I was in I couldn't pull through and I'm, I think I was, I'm too much of a pussy. I couldn't actually inflict that much pain, physical pain on me. The way that I wanted to do it was going to mean discomfort. And I didn't know if I could drink enough and still be conscious and do what I wanted to do. So there was also, you know, did I have the courage? I know I didn't, but I wanted to. And the awareness, no, you can't do this to your dad, especially my dad. I'm like, no, I cannot do this to him. And that awareness saved me. Mm-hmm. Was there a spiritual component to your day one, do you think? Big time. Big time. I feel like spirit intervened. I feel spirit was like hovering around me, above me. I felt like I was hovering. I know this sounds crazy. But Mm-mm, because no, I hadn't had actually <laughs> I, I hadn't had any sleep. I for four nights I, I I went through the night just drinking and I could not, I could not get any sleep. So that that shifted my um, it was like I entered an altered state of consciousness, and because I was drinking to the point where my body uh, it was it, I 
I felt like that like that morning, I, me, the essence, the spirit, the the godliness of me left my body, looked down to my, at my body, tapped back into source, tapped back into spirit, and just guided. I I, I was so psychotic that I heard voices that morning. And I heard a voice say to me, phone your friend. And it's not something I ever would have done if I was fully in my body thinking mind. Mm -hmm. And I listened to that voice. And I really believe that was voice of spirit and guidance trying to get me out of that emergency acute space. And I listened to it. And it, it's it's what has led me to this moment. It's why I'm still here. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to that experience for sure. I felt too like I had an out-of-body experience um, on my on my day one as well. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced over a year's worth of content and have over a quarter million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing, you can be a patron of this show for as much as you'd like, even if it's just a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Um, so, so when you got back home from rehab, did you, what did you do? I mean, how did you stay sober? Because that's, I hear, I didn't go to rehab either myself, but I hear that's, that that's the hard part, right? Because that's where the work begins. I was scared. I, I left rehab feeling very unsure because you're in a bubble for, mm-hmm quite some time and you feel supported and safe and you are just doing the work 24 seven while you're there. So it's kind of, kind of, kind of the easy bit. And so the fear was very real and I was on my own. I was living, I was coming back to an empty house. My family, they all live in South Africa still. And so I came back to Raglan knowing that it's going to be me and a few close soul sisters and my dog and the fellowship and commitment and discipline and determination and an enormous amount of trust. And so I, I felt it. I felt it all, which was really scary because it's like, fuck you, step into this technicolor, vivid landscape of emotions Everything's on steroids. Everything feels jagged emotion-wise because you, when you know what it's like. When you're happy, you're happy. When you're sad, you're fucking sad. You feel it all. There's no numbing agent anymore. So that was pretty hard. I think the emotional element of being really real with myself and life was the most challenging bit for me. And and the the, the staying sober bit was kind of like, I think by then I was so fucking sure that sobriety was my new identity that I, in my mind, drinking wasn't even an option. 
Right. It's totally off the table. It's like, I'm not even going to try and negotiate with alcohol and even contemplate whether I could have a healthy relationship with it. I, I, I put that down and I mm-hmm. made not even a line in the sand. It was like a fucking concrete slab. Like this mm-hmm. is not an option. And I, I, I'm, I live quite remote. So meetings were quite a distance away, but I just, I just kept going to meetings as many as I could. And those first, those first two, three months, I just kept, cause I, I wasn't working at the time. And I just kept myself busy with everything that recovery was all about. I started joining online chat groups. I started hanging out with people in recovery and I discovered, oh my God, there's a whole world of us. And oh my God, I'm not the only one. And I started meeting all these amazing women within the industry, started following these amazing, amazing women that we all love, that we all read, that we all listen to. And I was like, I'm, I can do this. And then I started to look at how can I upskill and I enrolled in a nutrition training program and I started studying. Um, and I wanted to take my practic- practitioner skills to the next level of, of, of service. And I knew that I was also being prepared for my life's work because of my recovery. I knew that I was going to eventually show up and, and help others shift Um, who are ready to shift. So I went looking and I started, you know, apart from the fellowship, I started doing, doing something that was really meaningful and purpose to me, purposeful to me. And the studying was really good for my headspace. And it kept me, um, it kept me focused on something really beautiful and exciting. And I, um, I loved it. So that first year was, I I turned into the student again, the student of life, student of myself, student of recovery. I started looking at all sorts of interesting, unconventional recovery methods because I I, I thought there must be more to recovery than what I'm being exposed to. So I started looking and I started adding all of these interesting ingredients to my recovery in that first year. And and that helped me, Um, meaning purpose, a focus, and knowing that this was going to, when I'm ready, that I was going to step back into service. And, um, and that's what happened. So yeah, mm. the fear and the insecurity was there all the time. You know, it didn't, it's still there. I don't know if I'm going to fucking not drink today. I'm choosing not to, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to deal with my shit storms. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay intact. I'm doing my fucking best to do the work right now to equip myself with different coping mechanisms and so far touch wood so good because I've been able to get through my shit storms and my challenges very differently so I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing it feels good mm-hmm. and it feels it feels it feels right for me it's not right for everyone but it, the what I'm doing is feeling good for me yeah, you know, I would like to highlight a couple of things you said because so often in you know, in our sober groups that that many of us are in, you'll constantly see women come in just out of desperation and not, you know, they they just can't they just can't do it and they're and they're crying out for help and I don't know how to tell anyone to get sober, but I do see 
a lot of us doing the same things and you, you, you just, um, mentioned them when you said you made a resolution, like you took it off the table. And I think that that is so, I don't think we point that out often enough that you do have to come to some kind of resolution. I am not going to drink. It is not an option for me. Mm. And then the next thing you did was you found uh, a purpose. You found a reason to get out of bed. And whatever that is for anyone, it can be that you're going to get up and write in your journal every day. And that's your reason to get out of bed. You found um, education that was giving you a drive. Um, you have to find something. And I think that those two things together, I think, really are important to highlight. Yeah, I think I think that what, what we've talked about and, and in our own experiences, um, like a month after I got sober and I and I uh, I re-enrolled in college to fill that hole because mm-hmm. it was there was a huge void that I wasn't entertaining that I, I used to yeah. own a wine bar, Irma. So I had, you know, thought I was this big <laughs> wine connoisseur, right? I knew, had all this mm. knowledge. Um, but I think the point that I want to highlight about what you just said was also that the, there was this emotional, emotional element that you're saying was the most challenging. And I think that just because we remove booze or alcohol from our life, we're still left with ourselves, right? Yeah. And that, what you do with that or how you channel that, or like I always say, like, I want to use my power for good. <laughs> like I want, I don't yeah. want to keep harming myself or, or, or letting others down. Um, it sounds like you were getting in alignment with yourself because it sounds like from what you shared earlier, you were helping these people during the day and then probably, um, not feeling great about yourself in the evening because of how you were drinking. Right. Like I felt, I, I felt fake my whole life. That was the word I would use. I would say, I feel like a big faker. Love it. Yeah, I, I'm the I PTA president, I but I'm 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 drinking in the park with kids from a you know this mm. <laughs> drinking martinis while I'm watching my kid play in the park. I must have looked like an you. asshole, you know. And a few of the parents were like, nobody said anything, nobody said anything, but I'm sure they mm. were thinking a lot. But I I don't know. I just love it. The emotional element is still there even when we quit drinking and filling that void. I love what you've done because you're filling yourself back up. Yourself and and I have I've I've let go of this this perception I that I that I had earlier on that one day I'm going to get to a point where it's all done. I let go of that pressure I put on myself within my recovery to reach a level of nirvana enlightenment. Oh, like there's a finish line. There's a finish line. I'm going (laughs) to get there one day on this day on this. I don't know what the hell I was thinking because how ridiculous is that idea? But I, I had that idea early on that maybe one day this won't be the most important thing in my life anymore because I would have processed and healed enough to not choose sobriety every single day. Mm. And and then I started getting a little bit arrogant 
and my recovery at one stage where I thought I had this, I got this thing, I got this. I don't need to, you know, do this, this, this every single day of my life to stay in my sober lane. Oh, I can ease up on the self care. I can ease up on, on the habits, the healthy habits. I, I got this. I got this. I've got, I've got some good mileage behind me. It's been a few years now. I got this. And bam, life brought me down to my knees and I had total burnout. And of course, the first thing I thought of was wine. Mm. And I remember sitting outside of the bottle store going, all right, so we can do this. Nobody's going to know. I sat there and I thought, because I really wanted to, and I didn't, but it was one of the closest near relapses I've ever experienced, and it was a massive wake-up call to get back in a very clear um, lane of focused intent and working on it. And, and, and it was in that moment where I went, no, you know what, this is something I'm going to do for the rest of my life willingly, not because I feel weak or because I feel broken or because I feel like I'm, you know, less than, but because I matter that much to myself and that my relationship with my authentic self is that important that it deserves nurturing every single fucking day of my life. And that means I've got to show up and eat well. I've got to show up and meditate. I've got to show up and write. I have to move my body. I have to stay well and strong within my physical body. I have to, I have to forge my spiritual relationship with myself and with spirit I have to do all of these things every single day, not because I think I'm going to relapse. The the reason is not that. It's because that's how important this journey back to myself is because I didn't realize that when I let go of alcohol and I broke up that relationship, that I was going to meet me and reconnect to me and build the relationship that I have with me in the most beautiful, kind, gentle, and compassionate way ever. And I get choked up when I talk about it because it's the most important relationship that I've ever been in. Mm. I've never, ever loved being with me the way I love being with me right now. And I'm not talking from ego, arrogance perspective. Mm. This coming home to who I really am as a woman, as a human being, it is the most beautiful homecoming that I've ever attended. And it's like, fuck me, this is what it's like to fully arrive and land in your true potential and your true authenticity. And I know, I know that if I went back to alcohol in an instant, I will disconnect from this place that I have found within myself and it's just not an option I don't want to I protect this space fiercely Mm. well when you're looking back at that at the space before that moment where you've you know found yourself in front of the wine store 
were there, do you recognize other factors that were leading up to that point or was it just purely a lack of maintenance? Lack of maintenance, uh, lack of creative output, lack of being of service. Mm, And it's massive. Like it's like far out. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew Mm -hmm. that not making it about your fucking problem is the Mm -hmm. exact same thing that you need to heal your problem, you know, and, and a lot of emotional discomfort. There was, there was a lot going on in my personal life that was, um, that was really uncomfortable and painful emotionally and, and wanting to escape and outrun that discomfort that's what led me to that moment. Mm. Those are all very, those are everyone get out your pen. (laughs) Those are all very Ah. important. (laughs) And, and getting into the whole comparison game on social media. Oh Oh. my God. Let's talk about that for a minute. (laughs) Oh my God. My good old friend comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we know it. Yeah, it that'll take you out at. Yeah, it'll take you out at your knees, won't it? Oh, it takes you out of yourself, and it just mm-hmm. dilutes your essence down to such a tepid, bland. Ugh. Oh, it was it was awful. I, I, I didn't know I was doing it until I realized how far it had gotten with Instagram. You know, I have this love hate thing with social media. I know that it can be used for good and that it's a beautiful platform to connect with people. I know how much beauty and connection I've received uh, because of it. And, and yet I find my, I found past tense. I found myself getting quite caught up in others stories and successes and um, portrayal of, of their lives. And of course, I started thinking, shit, I'm not doing it her way. Her way looks so much better than my way from a business perspective. Wow, look at how she's writing her blog. My God, look how many shares she got on her blog. Oh, my God, she's being interviewed for that. Wow, look at her go. But also going, ooh, I wonder how I could adjust my message, my essence. And maybe maybe I should take a little bit from that, a little bit from there. Oh, take a little bit from her mm-hmm. mm, and that one. Ooh, okay. And let's like, ooh, that catchphrase she said over there, maybe I could change the words so it doesn't quite <laughs> sound like I copied her and mold it and morph it into my fucking English and put that onto my blog. Oh, my God. I just, I lost myself. And I felt mm-hmm. so, so, like, like such a fucking fraud. And... Just, I didn't feel like I was really being me because I wasn't. I was trying to be everything that everybody else was doing um, because I thought that's what would make me more popular. And I got trapped in this egoic state of needing to be liked more, needing to be seen as something that I wasn't, and totally losing me. That beautiful connection that I was talking about earlier. I lost it because comparison just robbed it. It just took it all away from me, and I did it willingly. So i i had to I had to stop. I had to take a break from it all, 
so I did. I just I, I put pushed pause on all of my social media. And from a business perspective, it was tricky and risky because I knew I was going to lose traction and and it was it was a risk. But for six weeks I left it. And I created space. How did it feel? Oh scary at first Mm -hmm. and really awkward and it was like when I left booze I, I I didn't know what to do with the fucking space that I created because I <laughs> I so mindlessly just fill empty void vacant space by scrolling mindlessly on Instagram. Yeah. And suddenly that wasn't an option, so I had to be with me. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Pause. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like um like a forced vacation, right? I, I'm just coming off of a, a November I went without um, social media on my phone. Um, I did keep some commitments to our Facebook group for the podcast. Um, and I actually found I needed it during the holiday, during that Thanksgiving week. I really needed some connection with my online recovery spaces. But I felt expansive. I felt like I went on vacation. I felt mm. all this new creative, um, I don't know, it was... I was going to say power flow in. That's from the big book. But I, I did. I, feel, I felt like all these things were coming to me because I could have empty space in order to create and not look at somebody else's thing and not think about what they were doing. It, all the things that you mm. just said, Irma. So um, how mm. did, did it just feel? How did it f- feel? It felt, it felt, I like the word you use, expansive, because yeah. it literally is expansive. Because when I'm scrolling, I... I just implode and I go to a really yucky place that's really restrictive. Uh, and the space opened up really beautifully. And for the six weeks sabbatical, I I then became aware of all the beauty and the teachers and the guides that were manifesting in my life because I was actually with life, real life, real people, real time. And creatively, it was exactly what I needed. I, I needed that space to recalibrate, reconnect to me, ask the big questions, you know, what am I all about? What am I doing? Where am I going? And how does that look? How does that feel? How does it really, um, you know, boil down into copy and, and, and message within my social media, within my blog? How, how, how does that feel? And to just sit with that and universe then planted all of these beautiful teachers and, and guides and mentors in my space during that time. And I just went, yeah, I need this. So I went for, for more healing. I went on this amazing retreat with 20 other amazing people. And I did this profound, profound work on shifting and releasing stories that no longer serve me and then reconnect with my authentic self, my inner healer, my inner warrior, my inner goddess, my inner creative. And this retreat was just heaven sent and was all happening in this time that I was off social media and it made it more profound, I think, because I didn't have the white noise of social media in the background. I was just, I was utterly selfish and I needed to be in a really beautiful way. And, and that space was filled with such beauty and such creative potential. So when I went back online, it was different. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, 
I have a, I have a, I have this vessel that I could use for good. And my intent within this vessel is to be of service, not to be self-serving. And my intent in this vessel is to stay connected to who I am and not deliberately go and look at what the others in my industry are doing. I love them. I fucking love them. I think they're doing a great job. But I've stopped going there all the time to look for inspiration. I find my inspiration in a different way now with me. And that was a game changer. So my relationship with social media is a lot healthier now and I'm a lot more set in boundaries. I'm, I'm doing a lot more scheduled posts. I'm, um, I'm definitely not just mindlessly scrolling as much as I used to. I still catch myself doing it, but I catch myself and then I unhook and I come back to me and I'm just a lot more mindful about the reason I'm on social media. It's not to gain popularity. It's not to gain, you know, any of that. It's to bring the message through. And I live in a small town. I'm not in a big city. And social media is the way I connect to the people that don't necessarily live in this space. And when I'm very focused about that and clear about that, it feels good. It feels like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is a good tool. This is not an abusive tool anymore. Yeah, it's all how we're using it, right? And I, I, a lot of what you've said has resonated with me. I live in a really small town as well. And when I was um, getting sober, I felt really disconnected, you know. And to go to meetings, um, the town I live in has 126 people. And the next town over um, where I owned my wine bar has about 950 people. I was really paranoid of going to the meetings. There are a couple of small meetings, but I was afraid people would know me. And mm -hmm. my husband works out here on the coast and I didn't, I just kind of got in my head about it a lot. So I really did return, um, turn to social media to find some teachers and to be able to do that at any hour of the day, right? When I woke up in the middle of the night and had all this fear and anxiety and heart palpitations and I would get up and read or follow these people and they were a com complete lifeline. But mm. at some point, you know, it has to, it does have to shift. It does have to change. And for me, being an all or nothing personality, taking the break from social media has been helpful. I'm not sure I'm doing so well on integration this time around of, um, cause I'm kind of back to it again. Um, but at least having the opportunity to think about it and to, and to know the difference, you know, yeah. has been really helpful, has been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's questioning, like you said, your intention behind it. Are you going there to celebrate and connect or are you desperately searching for inspiration? And, you know, which sometimes, you know, sometimes I get on there to, to look for inspiration. But is it because I'm afraid to go within? Am I, am I afraid to not look at something? Am I afraid to spend those hours alone searching my own consciousness mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah I just did a big dump of people that I followed so no offense to anybody if I unfollowed you but I it was just too much visual noise and I'm such a visual person and I was ingesting all of the stuff that some of it didn't pertain to me anymore I'm in a different mm -hmm. phase of my recovery 
but I was getting yeah. so much visual noise um, that I had to kind of quiet it. And, you know, I got, I think I unfollowed like 300 accounts and it just felt, I don't know, it felt funny to say that it feels like a relief, but now it's like I have more intention on what I'm looking at and it feels right. It feels good. I uh, hear yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm also aware of the shift on Instagram and Facebook as far as the sponsored ads are concerned. It's a lot more aggressive mm. in, in, in how much the world's trying to sell me. And I, I just finished reading Yuan Hari's book, Lost Connections, which is a awesome book. I have it oh. on hold at the library. I can't wait. To, I can't wait. Oh. It shows up for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 good. it's, it's awesome and and he he talks about how um advertising marketing that whole energy how it's been it's been shown through through many long-term studies uh that it 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 definitely has an effect on our mental health especially when it comes to depression Mm. and it makes sense because any any ad the messages where you are right now within your life, with what you have, with what you drive, with how you look, with what you own, with what you eat, you're not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. You need whatever it is that I'm selling you from the ads perspective. You need me to be more liked, to be more popular, to be better, to be healthier, to be fitter, to be sexier, to be younger to be more liked. You are deficient as you are. This will solve all of your problems. Consume me, wear me, drive me, taste me, take me, exercise me, and you will be fucking sweet because where you are, you are deficient. And I'm very tuned into this now since reading the book. And I see it when I go to the city because you know, like you, Tammy, I'm, my town is just, there's none of that. There's no billboards. There's no traffic lights. There's no, there's right. none of that <laughs> stimulation. There's, and I drive into Auckland and the first thing I see are billboards selling me happiness, selling me solutions, selling me the cure to my misery. And I can feel the shift within my being when I'm in the city for too long, because after a while, if I don't catch it, I do start to feel shit about what I look like. And I start to question whether my clothes are cool enough, whether my car is fancy enough, whether, you know, I'm, I'm dressed properly enough to go down that high street. And then I start questioning my worth. And it's such a deep, deep, deep subconscious thing that it doesn't serve me to do it too much. Or when I am on social media, I'm very aware that there's more of that sponsored marketing happening and it has shifted I don't know if you've noticed it it has shifted the the essence of the Instagram feeds because every third post is now a sponsored ad on your feed no you're right you're right Mm -hmm. and it's it's definitely shifted the energy that I experience because it's none of just the content that I choose to look at Mm -hmm. Uh, even if I call my account which I do regularly there's still shit that pops up that doesn't necessarily have any value in my life, but still I get sucked into it. Like, Ooh, well, that's a nice new yoga mat. Ooh, there's a crystal and a fucking water bottle. Now I have to have this fucking crystal within a water bottle because then I will be fucking happy. Oh, look, 
at this fucking website, then oh, down the rabbit hole I go, you know? Yeah. Well, I've noticed that when I'm looking at these things, but the things that I was unfollowing, it was like, it served me for a little while, but I'm in a different place. And it was kind mm. of like a nice release to go, oh, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that anymore. Nice um, I wanted to ask you, Irma, because um, you had sent me a link to, or to both of us, a link to your um, a blog post that you wrote on what it takes to stay sober for three years. And mm. it is, you are a fantastic writer, by the way. And I, it's so helpful. It's so generous. That, that article, if anybody that's listening, please go read it because you lay it out like kind of, you know, you're laying some things out here, but there's so much more here for people to gather and watch your journey and see, you said that part of like, what did I do? And then you kind of lay it out there and it's really beautiful. And you had an experience in Peru in 2017. Is that the experience you were talking about earlier? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you mind well, sharing some I, of that? Oh, I've got goosebumps. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was profound. So let's go there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's go there. This is, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> well, uh, it's not talked about yeah, a lot and I'm very curious. It's so. Yeah, it's not. Um, so I met Gabor Mate's work very early on in my recovery. And Gabor Mate, to those who don't know, is a Hungarian-Canadian uh therapist, writer, phenomenal man, phenomenal man, ex-heroin addict, written heaps of books, but he's really doing a lot <clears throat> in shifting how we look at <clears throat> depression and mental health issues and addiction, which to me are two sides of the same coin. <clears throat> and he um, he works a lot in the world of of Oh, unorthodox methods. And so he, I read one of his books, or I think I listened to one of his podcasts. I've, I've, I've done a course with him on con unconventional addiction recovery methods called um, uh, Beyond Addiction, The Yogic Path to Recovery. He, he, he does this online course with a beautiful Kundalini yoga teacher trainer in, in Canada. Anyway, he talks about psychedelics and plant medicine. And its effect on healing the brain, especially for someone who has PTSD, addiction, anxiety, and depression, schizophrenia. And he he was the first person that I ever heard speak about ayahuasca. And I was like, what is this plant? I need to learn more about this. Being a, a homeopath being in the natural medicine industry, I was like, I need to learn more about this. So I started diving into understanding what ayahuasca is and first thinking, whoa, that's out there. Whoa, that sounds scary. Whoa, that sounds like hard work. And I don't know if I'm willing to um, let go of control that much because it's, it demands that you really surrender and be with it and, and let it do the work because it's a wonderful medicine. And I heard that he facilitates these beautiful retreats in Peru because ayahuasca comes from the Amazon and he's been doing work with, with groups and facilitating enormous shifts within controlled um, groups that are, have had enormous effect on, on his, his patients. And he uses it himself 
for his healing, personal healing. And he he just got right into the science and it really resonated with me because I like to know the research behind something. And I had this far-fetched idea that I'm going to go to Peru one day so that I can go and experience this plant medicine firsthand and be on the land with the shamans and really respect the medicine for what it is in a, in a, in a beautiful, controlled, but authentic way. Cause it's not something you do recreationally. You have to really respect the plant and see it as that. And I had this, um, this wonderful opportunity to go to Peru because a, I, I uh, also use maca, uh, which is a superfood that comes from Peru every single day of my life. And it, it really helps my mental health. I don't know if we'll have time to talk about that, but maca is one of the most important foods that I take daily to help me stay well. And I wanted is to know more about Does it help plants. brain health? Or I, Sorry, I'm going to interrupt about maca yeah. for just a second because I have yeah. some and I drink it not all the time. I'm, I'm not very consistent with it, but is it a brain health? It's a brain health. It's an endocrine health. It wraps your adrenals with love, your thyroid, your pituitary. It's really good for the ovaries, for the testes and men. Uh, it's very well known for its effect on the hormonal health of both men and women. Hmm. So for women who have hormonal issues with PMS, infertility, cysts, uh, fibroids, uh, premenopausal, menopausal, uh, issues. It's it's wonderful for the reproductive system, and for men with with um, issues with sperm count, with prostate issues, uh, it's it's phenomenal. But then the adrenals are really supported with maca. So if you if you someone who 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 needs a lot of energy to get through life, I'm intense. I burn energy really quickly. I'm an all or nothing woman as well. Um, so I'm always aware that my adrenals need extra support. Maca really boosts me. It's great for fatigue, for chronic fatigue, for burnout, for exhaustion. It's great to improve your stamina. But then it is fucking awesome for mental health because maca stimulates and boosts what are known as your anandamides. Those are your bliss molecules. They're your natural endocannabinoids in the body. And endocannabinoids are very important molecules within our bodies. We make them naturally. And there's a certain family called anandamides, ananda, bliss. they literally called bliss molecules. And maca, the active ingredient, one of the active ingredients in maca, uh, enhances your um, uh, ability to produce anandamides, your bliss molecule, and it helps to sustain the production of your anandamide. So when I take maca, it gives me a sense of clarity. Mm. It brings me back to my body. I feel very anchored, a bit like cacao. I feel very anchored and grounded in my body and very um, comfortable, like calm. And it just turns on my mind. I feel like, okay, I can write this blog post. I can get through this workshop. I have a busy day with clients, yet I need more of it. It instantly gives me strength. And I wanted to learn more about this plant. So Peru is where it grows high up in the Andes, and it grows where nothing else fucking survives. Maca has this – fuck, it's amazing. It just it, – it, 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 it's a survivor. And it, it like it likes to be pushed to the edge. 
the conditions are extreme up there. There's very harsh sunlight. It's very dry. It's very high. There's very little oxygen. And yet it thrives. It's like, keep pushing me life and I'll give you even more nutrients. And that's why it's such an abundant superfood because the energy that it captures and what it goes through to, to be, I really have an idea that that's the energy that it brings into the body because I have this wacky idea that plants also, you can learn a lot by seeing where they grow and mm -hmm. what they endure. That energy gets downloaded into your body. So the, 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 you know, the ancient cultures of, of Peru used to eat maca for all sorts of reasons. At one stage, it was more uh, valuable than gold, and they traded with 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 with, with maca. And the the warriors would take maca when they went to you know to battle for their energy and for their stamina. Children in Peru, they all live on maca. It's like a porridge when you go to Peru. It's sold on the street corners, and it's part of their way of life. And children go through life differently, not just because of maca, but their their whole way of being is different to a Western kid. Anyway, I'm I'm totally digressing, but I love maca and I learned a lot about it. I went and volunteered at a at a, an organic farm and I met the locals and I soaked up this precious, precious plant that has come to planet Earth to help us get through our challenging times better. It's like my stock standard food that I go to when I know I'm getting I'm getting challenged. So when I when I'm stressed or whether whether I'm dealing with emotional turmoil or any kind of busyness, I always take more maca. It's changed my hormonal being a lot because of my history with fibroids and with ovarian cysts and my 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 woo, my ovaries feel different. I feel different premenstrually a lot easier. I go through it a lot easier, but my mental health and, um, and this is why I give it to my clients and re recommend it to my clients because many of them struggle with anxiety, struggle with, with depression, and, and they need a bit of grounding. So I prescribe it like it is a medicine, not just as a food. Mm. And so I did that. And then I, I went and, and sat in ceremony at a retreat center that, is, that has been created for healing. And I met ayahuasca. And I went through that experience with two beautiful shamans and a group of wonderful facilitators. And I used it as a medicine to help my mind heal even more from my trauma story, from my addiction, from my depression. And it was one of the most challenging and yet one of the most mystical and profound experiences I've ever had and it's not for everyone not everyone can do it most can but if you have a curiosity around ancient plant medicine if you are curious about ways you could rewire your mind with unconventional methods of healing if you're curious about really meeting yourself in a mystical, safe space and you are willing to let go of your idea that you have around your darkness, then ayahuasca may be very beneficial to you. 
there is an underbelly around the ayahuasca world, unfortunately, because a lot of people are making money out of it. So be mindful of where you go and who you trust. It's not something you do just because you feel like doing it on a fucking Friday night for fun. It needs to be held with sacredness and it needs to be held with the energy of a trained shaman. And then you need facilitators. And and the place I went to had counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists on the team. So after each ceremony, you have a debrief. You can talk about what you experienced and download and let go and make sense of your experience with ayahuasca. But it has, it's the one thing when I look back in my recovery, it's the one thing I think that fast-tracked and opened up my creative potential because I've shifted into a different space when I write since having had the experience of ayahuasca. And Mm. it's definitely shifted how I meet myself because the experience that I've had of myself through the ceremony was beautiful. And I and and I, I go there, I can think about it and I'm back there. I call it in when I go into session with clients. I called it in before I started talking to you. And it's um it's definitely out there for a lot of people. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And yet the more I learn about psychedelics within the world of addiction recovery, the more literally my mind is blown. I'm reading Michael Pollan's book right now about how you can change your, your mind. And there's enormous uh, research happening, uh, big pharmaceuticals pouring millions into researching psilocybin, um, ayahuasca, to see how this could help us shift um, how we look at mental health and also the resources, the solutions that we have for mental health. Mental health is in crisis as we speak. Mm-hmm. You were right about that. Yeah. There's a lot lot happening in mental health that's hurting us. And they know within psychiatry, there's a split between fuck, we created a monster and hey, let's look at solutions. So there's lots of exciting stuff happening within the world of psychiatry that are focusing on uh, psychedelics. And Mm. we're going kind of back to where we were in the 60s and opening up that that can of whoop-ass and, you know, looking at, hey, maybe – Maybe we could look at these things differently because I think the biggest um, – we, we really hurt the world of plant medicine and psychedelics when we class them in the same category as heroin and cocaine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I have a few uh, opinions, of course, <laughs> because <laughs> – we're all opinionated, aren't we? <laughs> I I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I've never done ayahuasca, so I really have no opinion about that at all. Um, but however, I have done a ton of psychedelics. Um, and most of those were, well, they were all in my 20s. Most of them were good experiences. A few were not, though. And so you're right. I think it's important for anyone to, uh, you know, not just hear this and say, well, I'm going to try that because they say it's awesome. You know, do your own, do your own research, question why, question why you, you want, why you want to do it. If you do want to do it, I would say, um, because, uh, you know, that I think again, knowing your intentions behind things, um, is most important. Uh, uh, and it, 
and it needs to be seen as a medicine. It needs yeah. to be taken in a controlled, safe space with a therapist. It's right. not something to be done on your own recreationally. Not recreationally, exactly. No, it's it's a it's way too potent, and if in the wrong hands with the wrong intention with no support, it can hurt. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a cure all. Uh, so I want to make that very, very clear. If, if this is something that is of interest to anyone, um, that's just my view of it. It's like, yeah, I see it as I would see something that I'm prescribed by a doctor. And it's, it's, it's something that, that has to be honored in a, in a very responsible manner. And it's not for everyone. Right, right. I don't know anything about it other than I, I did pick up that book from Michael Pollan um, for my husband to read because he, he talks about it with his hairdresser for the last 15 years because she goes to Peru and she does that. Um, and so I got him the book about it. Um, do you Are you familiar with the work of Lacey Young that she produces no. shift retreats? Um, I heard about I heard her first on the on Raise Your Hand Say Yes with Tiffany Hahn. Lacey and Tiffany are friends and she's been on Tiffany's show I think three different times. But um, I, I read about her experience with it, and I found that um, intriguing. Me, personally, I am such a scaredy cat, um, Irma. <laughs> you know, like, I've smoked pot two times in my life, and I was like, oh, it didn't work, because I was drinking, like, a lunatic along with it. Um, so that doesn't speak to me, but I wanted to ask you about it, because I find it interesting. I know it's something, I think Holly and Laura did an episode with, I can't remember what his name was. Uh, anyhow um and and they ended up taking it down because it was kind of controversial and um for their listeners it was triggering so we don't mean to trigger anyone but i i when i read that this was so powerful for you i was like i have to ask you about this because Mm. it sounds like and do you think i guess my question is the timing of it all um did it come like when it needed to come because i mean if this had come right at the beginning of your recovery you know Oh yeah, do you I think it was divinely timed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I do believe that whatever is put in my way is is always put in my way divinely, and that I'm being prepared for whatever next I need to um, experience for my for my ongoing recovery. And it's just panned out this way that mm-hmm. I'm being pulled into the more unorthodox and unconventional the 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 further I travel down this road and I'm very curious to see where this is going to go and and what I'm learning and what I'm discovering is is really um it's really exciting stuff for me and so I've become this distiller of information and experiences and I don't often share this with the world because it's such an intimate journey for me I Mm -hmm. share what I think is relevant to where my clients are at at the time uh, but this is the first time I've actually spoken about it publicly and openly. Um, mm-hmm. And the intent is only to share w- what it is that's that's really shifted it for me, you know, my, my recovery. It's not a cure-all. It's mm-hmm. not by all means a magic whatever. Um, but I'm... I'm definitely different in a better way since having had the experience. And more people are popping up in my world within recovery that I 
highly admire and respect. And then when I get into it with them, I realize, ah, you also. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Right. So tell me about it. And it's not something that it's, that's quite public. I think because of the controversy attached to it still, Mm -hmm. um, it's just interesting to watch how this is shifting things for me. Well, thank you for trusting us with that and sharing what you've shared here. That's, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate mm. that. Yeah. Um, we, so I, there's still much to cover here. So <laughs> <laughs> like I'm looking at the time. I'm like, wait, I have more, we have way more to talk about. Um, at the end, we'll get to how people can work with you and do all of that. But um, do you mind sharing a little bit about um, uh, that tantric workshop that you went to? Yeah, yeah. I do not mind. Oh my god, I, <laughs> I want to really hear push, that. <laughs> I I pushed the envelope this weekend, so I've been following this beautiful tantric Taoist uh, shamanic coach, mental artist. Her name's Caitlin Cook, and she just happened to do a workshop in in Auckland over the weekend, and I just knew I had to get there. So um, I. I said yes. It's it was it was advertised as a creative workshop to manifesting your desires creatively using tantra and a few other techniques. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go have some fun and let's feel awkward and uncomfortable and maybe learn something <laughs> along the way. And it was all of that. It was a big group of us, men and women, and. She helped us identify what's getting in the way of the dream. You know, we're so clear often about, or not, about where we want to go, what we want to have in our lives, whether it's a lot of money or the perfect relationship or um, a book, a published book or uh, an art exhibitionist or exhibition or something. You know, it's different for all of us, but we're very clear about what it is that we want to do. And often something gets in the way. There's this sticky bit that gets in the way between us and actually owning that, manifesting that, doing it. So it was very helpful in identifying what the sticky bit was for me. And I was really, you know, surprised of what came up. And she she facilitated this really, at times, quite confronting exercises um, that involved really dropping your your ego and really being vulnerable and authentic with a fucking complete stranger in front of you because we were working in teams often and being very clear about boundaries and and what you really need and how you want it and how you don't want it. And so she took us on this journey to be fucking crystal clear about what it is that we want and then she took us into what's getting in the way and we all had different reasons and different things that were stopping us and helping to get it out of the way. So she, we got into the central tantric world of emotional release techniques and how to, how to shift that stuck, icky, you know, messy energy that we so often feel when we're busy with creative projects, you know, the voice of doubt or the voice of you're not good enough, or who do you think you are? You can't dream that big or fuck your writing sucks. You can't make that painting. Who do you, no way. It's not perfect. All I know this voice. Ways, you know, <laughs> this bullshit voice that keeps us playing fucking small. She helped us sit with this voice and shift it through mm-hmm. some beautiful, sensuous, tantric exercises that involve, 
that involved quite a lot of touch and getting quite uncomfortable in, in people's face. And it was it was profound. I, I, I've never done anything like it. And I'm very curious about the world of Tantra as a lifestyle and how it could benefit my creative potential because Eros, the the energy that is the spark to our creativity, we all come from Eros. Mum and dad had Eros to make me. You know, Eros is that sensation that we have when we look at a beautiful sunset and we're like, fuck, that's gorgeous. Eros is eating mm-hmm. a freshly picked strawberry and going, oh my God, this is so fucking good. Eros is that feeling we have pre orgasm where we just time and space transcends and we just go somewhere else. It's that, oh, that, 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 that burst is that burst of creativity and awe and inspiration and connection and vibration and resonance that we all feel when we're in our flow. We feel it when we're making the art, when we're making the love, when we're making the meal, when we listen to that song, when we are running on the beach and we feel, we fucking feel, we're not thinking, that's Eros. And she helped us really tap into that and get past the stuckness and then download the feeling we want to have when we are busy with our creative adventures because there's a feeling attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, Tammy, you made those beautiful bowls. Oh, my God, how fucking beautiful are you with doing that? There was a feeling when you watched the creation. There was a feeling that you were tapping into, a feeling of letting go. I so resonate with how you talk about the surrendering and the shit. I don't have control over the outcome. And yet I'm going to trust the alchemy and the magic that happens when I put it in the fire. That feeling, that's Eros. That's when we feel most alive. And I'm very curious to tap into that feeling more now that I'm sober. I'm very aware of that feeling because Mm -hmm. I'm not numbing it. And it's like fucking on tap. It's like, shit, this stuff wants to explode out of me. But <laughs> when I'm it. in the way, when I'm in the way, I can't let it let it flow. You know, right. when I'm getting away of a blog because I'm too fucking scared about what people might think or I'm yeah. too attached to such acceptability, I lose my eros. Mm. And so this workshop was all about expressing that, getting out of our own way and then feeling it, like accessing the feeling we have when we are in our flow. And that feeling to me is the best fucking feeling that I have now in my sober life because I'm so used to trying to access that feeling in a previous chapter of my life through substances. I thought I needed substances to get that feeling, to feel that amount of pleasure, to feel that amount of creativity. I had this bullshit story that I could only be fun, sexy, wild, creative if I had some kind of substance in me. Fuck any of them. I did most of them. And I needed those substances at one stage to, to, to get me there. And of course it didn't get me there. It just pulled me further away from it. And I'm on this really like mindful journey right now to teach my mind what pleasure is all about because for a while my recovery felt a bit boring for a while I felt recovery was lacking fun I felt very fucking serious like seriously serious (laughs) yes (laughs) stage Mm -hmm. get it (laughs) was yeah it's like oh my god I just want to like I want to eat 
broken glass just to get something going in my life. Not really, but it was really, really stale. So I went to this new place in my mind where I was like, so what does pleasure really feel like? And how could you tap into pleasure without getting high or drunk? And is that even possible? And how can you infuse your everyday life with a bit of that? So Tantra started to show up in my life and Kundalini yoga started showing up in my life and sound healing and crystal singing bowls and resonance and, and, and all these wacky, but beautiful, beautiful healing modalities and lifestyles and perceptions started popping up. And I'm, I'm, I'm with all of this, I feel like I'm seducing my future. Mm. I feel like I've turned on something within my being that feels really fun and sometimes a little bit wild, sometimes often very pleasurable. And I'm not talking, you know, um, sexy. I'm talking pleasure in the, in the full body sense. I'm, I'm turning into turning on all of those potentials, um, which is what I've been seeking and, and, and where I'm at in my recovery now earlier on, I didn't, I wasn't here. And then I hit that plateau and I was like, is this all, is this, is this what sobriety is all about? No, let's take it up a notch. So that's why I went to this 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 workshop because I I don't I want to learn I want to fucking learn man I want to learn how to really own it and um, I also bought myself some singing bowls this weekend and I've been bathing myself with sound in my clinic every morning and it's just been amazing and I'm mm. learning I'm going to do a sound healers course this year to to learn how to offer it as a as a healing modality because it just instantly brings me back to mm present space awareness and relaxation. So I hope mm. that answers the question about the workshop on, we didn't get naked. We did all of this fully clothed. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask, but <laughs> whatever you want to do, I don't care. <laughs> T- remind me who your teacher was again. Cause I want to, I want to put that in the notes here. I'm sure our listeners would like to know that too. Oh. She's, she's called Caitlin Cook. Uh, Caitlin with a C. Caitlin Cook. Okay. I'll check her out. Did you um, did you find her on Instagram or did you find her on just searching? Yeah, she, she. I found her on Instagram and I've been following her work for for quite a while. And uh, yeah, she's she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's really owning her authentic beauty, and she's got she's got a lot to offer the world. Mm. I love people that are just following their passion like that, and really, and and like you said, if if um, that feeling, that energy that you're talking about. Um, you called it's eros e-r-o-s yes yes yeah that energy um tapping into that like i just i think i've my painting professor recommended that i take ceramics because i'd been having a bunch of panic attacks and she said it would be like a working meditation and she just really thought it could help me and she's my mentor and I, i love her and she it's really helping her with her practice she's a an abstract painter but she's taken a love to ceramics and every week i get a lesson that very much relates to my recovery, which all art for me really does. But when you're in school kind of taking the notes and listening to the teachers and and it just comes out in a way um, that I could really make sense of. And it wasn't until all of those pots came out of the fire yesterday because you do have to let go to the predetermined outcome because they might break in the fire too. Mm. Um, I had a lidded jar that was stuck when it came out and I was so sad. And he took this big, long stick and he 
he just tapped on it and kept hitting it. And I thought he was going to break the whole thing. And he was holding it by the knob that I put on top and he kept, it kept slipping out of his hand. And he said, your piece is not functional, Tammy. And I said, well, yeah, it is. It has a knob. He says, no, it keeps slipping because you used a, a shiny glaze. He said, um, you know, so it's not functional, just so you know. And I was like, oh, that means I'm not going to get a good grade on it, is what this gold star seeking person thought. <laughs> and I just sat there for a second and I said, Hiroshi, I guess I'll learn to do it right the next time because that's the way you've been teaching me. He teaches us like we he lets us make the mistakes and then he knows we won't do that again. <laughs> so wow. it means I'm going to get not the A plus. I already I can already tell that from him. But what I have learned has surpassed all of that for me. And so my painting professor that recommended I took this class, I texted her yesterday and I said, thank you so much. You did know what I needed. And it wasn't more painting to beat myself up over and get stressed out. It was to like learn how to be a little more zen <laughs> and mm. to release the expectations of the outcome. And so I very much have enjoyed like taking that journey and that feeling that you're talking about is definitely what's been happening. It's definitely, it's what I chase kind of. And sometimes when I chase mm. it too hard, I can't get it. Um, That's it. It's in the That's doing. It. It's in the actual. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. 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 And what thank you so thank you so much for sharing this journey that you're having with ceramics so beautifully. Yeah, it's been good. on on social media. It's so so beautiful how you related back to your recovery because it really resonates. Thank you. Hmm. What I love about your story is that you just keep following your curiosity, Irma, and saying yes to opportunities and I love that. I think that that's how we grow and I I'm so glad that I discovered that <laughs> because I was, I felt stuck for so long and I just didn't know that all I needed to do was follow my curiosity. Yeah. Yes. And you know, the Irma of three and a half years ago really doubted whether she could do it. Mm -hmm. While she was in it, she wanted to do all the things she wanted, all the wild adventures. She wanted to prove to herself she could do it sober. She wanted to have amazing women in her life that, you know, cheer her along and have these, uh, these beautiful, authentic soul sisters. She wanted those kind of connections. She wanted to be a writer. She wanted to show up for herself and she wanted to be crazy and she wanted to follow her, her heart and, and stand up for what she believed. And she wanted all of those things. And yet she doubted herself. Mm. And I often go back and I remind myself and others that making it happen is not as hard as you think it might be while you're still in it. If you're still in it and you're curious about a sober way of being and you question yourself, now it's normal. We've, we've all been there. We've all felt like, fuck, no, I can't do that. I'm not clever enough or brave enough or smart enough or healing enough or whatever. And yet every single one of us that have dared to let go of alcohol and step into this, this open space of sobriety we all have a very similar story to tell with different themes, but we all know what it's like to step into the unknown and free fall 
and feel the fear, but still have trust. I'm learning that I can be resilient and still have speed wobbles and I can still be of service and ask for guidance all at the same time and that I'm not alone and that it is possible. We can do it. We are doing it collectively, individually. We're all fucking doing it. And I still have moments where I doubt myself and yet, and yet, you know, it's like Elizabeth Gilbert when she talks about, you know, finding your passion. She says, fuck that shit. You know, don't put that kind of pressure on yourself. Just follow the breadcrumbs, follow the curiosity because that will lead you to whichever passion and be multi-passionate. Why the fuck not? Just follow the little breadcrumbs and it'll lead you there. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, Irma, thank you so much. We we're at the, we could talk to you. I could talk to you for a while. I say that to every interview. Like, I just want to stay on the phone and just keep talking <laughs> and, and getting it. Um, but I mean, I'm always I'm always genuine when I say that because I find each woman that we chat with so fascinating and how everybody gets to where they get to. Um, but I know our listeners love this part of our show that we share about toolbox items, and we call it the unruffled toolbox. Um, and we ask our um, interviewees to share, uh, you know, either something creative or something that helps you with your sobriety or both. Um, And so we're going to ask you, Irma, if you have three things to share with our listeners. I'd love to. And they they keep changing. But right now, number one, I'm finding the, the gift of resonance, the gift of sound, really helpful in my recovery and in my creative world. Uh, My crystal singing bowls are opening up portals within my being that's helping me birth a lot of juicy creative content. Uh, And I love, I love sitting in my clinic and and playing the bowls and, and just letting the sound wash over me. And I love going to concerts, sound healing concerts whenever I can. And I'm so blessed that Raglan suddenly is, is hosting all these beautiful concerts over summer with these amazing teachers and they, they have these gatherings and I know I have to get there and, and use sound, the vibrations of sound because we, we 70% water and sound, travels through water five times more effectively. So you can imagine what certain vibrations and resonance, certain sounds, the effect that it has on the the body. So crystal singing bowls, Tibetan bowls, um, shamanic healing drums, the didgeridoo, um, medicine wheel drums, they all have a really certain flutes. There's a certain resonance um, that penetrates the body. And personally, the experience that I have because of that, it just puts me back in my flow. And magic happens there. Um, secondly, hmm, assuming imperfection helps me to stay sober, helps me to stay creative. When I let go of the idea that it has to be fucking perfect, I feel a lot more connected to my authentic self, to my truth. The minute I attach to this idea that it has to be a certain way because it needs to be perfect, I lose myself. So I'm learning to come back to the, this is a biggie for me because I am such a control freak only because I'm so scared. Mm-hmm. And I know the more controlling I get, 
with my relationships, with myself, with my business. It just means I'm really fucking petrified of what might happen if I did it or said it or write it. So I'm learning to see that my perfectionist tendencies are heightened when I'm most fearful. And I'm learning to observe myself with with kindness, not with criticism and awareness, and come back to this, babe, just assume imperfection. Fuck it. Just do it. Assume. And it's a mantra that I, I literally download into my being. Assume imperfection, especially when I'm doing writing. Um, that helps. <sighs> my third tool right now. I have to. I have to go without. So I have to tune out of um, my everyday life. So I have to tune out of social media. I have to take a, I have to go on a fast, a social media fast and, and often an actual fast to go within at least twice a year. So I, I, I have to uh, block out at least two um, spaces in a year where I either go to retreat and I either go silent or I go without food, definitely go without Wi-Fi. And I become the student or I become the, the client and I receive and I go within. I have to go without to go within at least. If I can do it more in a year, great. But I know that I have to deliberately block out before my life gets too busy. I have to prioritize times where I'm just with me and without distractions. So whether it's a silent meditation, I've just done the seven day fast um, and, and, and really tune in. Something wonderful happens within my being when I go without the distractions. It's like my mind opens up, my soul opens up, my heart opens up. I release a lot of stuff that no longer serves me and I really tune back into what it is that I'm all about and how I want to express that in the world. Mm, I love that one. I love all of those. Yeah. Oh, well, Irma, how can people work with you? How can people get in touch with you, your website, social media, all the stuff you want to share so that our listeners can touch base with you? You can get hold of me through my website, um, my name, edamaskata.com. Uh, everything that I offer and in some is, is on my website. Uh, my Insta tab is Irma sacred rebel you can find me on there um and you are most welcome to email me and and hang out talk to me i love hearing where people are at um within their recovery what they've done that have helped them or just if you wanted to to hang out and 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 look at the potential of perhaps working with me um then all of that is possible by visiting those two spaces mm. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for getting up so early um, to speak with us and to share your story. It's an absolute honor. Yes, Irma. You two have been just wonderful. I was really nervous yesterday. I was really anxious. Uh, 
and I was t- saying to my best friend, I don't know if I could do this. And I'm so <laughs> grateful that Aww. the two of you just open up space for me to land and just be. Thank you so much for being willing to listen to me. I really am honored. I love what both of you are doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you have a beautiful day, Emma. So, same for you. Okay. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.